In January, the Food and Drug Administration granted accelerated approval to lecanemab for treating Alzheimer's disease. Like some other recent FDA authorizations under the accelerated approval program, this approval generated controversy and may result in challenging decisions for clinicians, patients, and caregivers. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Joseph Ross, a professor of medicine and public health at Yale University. Dr. Ross has co-authored a perspective article about shifts in the FDA's use of accelerated approval. Dr. Ross, could you start by explaining the purpose of the accelerated approval program and how it's been used historically? The accelerated approval program was initiated by the FDA in the early 1990s in the context of the HIV and AIDS crisis we were facing. At the time, patient advocates were demanding, appropriately so, that clinical trials be moved along more expediently so that products could be moved to market for patients who otherwise had access to no treatments that could treat this very serious, morbid, and mortal disease. So a new pathway was created whereby FDA enabled manufacturers to test their products using surrogate markers as opposed to clinical outcomes of disease, which would allow the clinical trials generally to be designed to use fewer patients over a shorter period of time and still derive an answer of whether the product was reasonably likely to be better and to work better for patients. So a surrogate marker is something that is some type of an endpoint that's likely to be predictive of a clinical outcome. So for instance, in HIV, the trials were designed around the use of CD4 counts and viral loads, as opposed to whether or not patients were experiencing opportunistic infections or dying of the disease itself. This has been rapidly broadened to oncology therapies in the accelerated approval program today, using surrogate markers like response rate or progression-free survival, as opposed to actual mortality rates to determine whether these therapies work better or not. This, of course, creates some challenge and uncertainty as we learn more about the various surrogate markers, learn more about how valid they are in their use and how well we can believe that they actually are correlated with actual benefit for how a patient feels or functions or survives, the sort of core clinical outcomes that we care about. So in your perspective article, you described the case of lecanemab, a monoclonal antibody for treating Alzheimer's disease that targets beta amyloid. So how much evidence was there that the drug is safe and effective and how did the FDA make its decision to grant accelerated approval? I think there is a lot of controversy about this approval and the prior approval for the monoclonal antibody to treat Alzheimer's disease, the beta amyloid targeting treatment, aducanumab. Both of these therapies came to market within the past year, approved by the FDA through the accelerated approval program on the basis of a surrogate marker, changes in beta amyloid on brain imaging. This is controversial because there's been a long history of research that suggests that beta amyloid is not a very strong predictive marker of clinical outcomes for patients with Alzheimer's disease. It does not necessarily predict well if a patient's cognitive decline will be slowed by the therapy or if they're less likely to have other symptoms or functional impairments as a result of the Alzheimer's disease itself. This is, of course, a disease of terrible morbidity. There are many, many patients in the United States and around the world who are suffering with Alzheimer's disease, and it affects not only the patients, but their families. So there's a clear need for effective therapies. When the first therapy came before the FDA about of summer 2021, that was aducanumab, they were very clear when discussing it with an advisory committee that they would not use the accelerated approval pathway. There were two clinical trials that had been designed to test whether or not the product worked, focusing on 
cognitive function, a measure of cognitive function as their primary endpoint. And both studies were actually stopped for futility. Neither looked like they worked. There was a post hoc analysis of both where one looked like it might have worked marginally in a subpopulation who were treated. But this was very controversial. And instead, the FDA brought the product through the accelerated approval pathway based on the surrogate marker of beta amyloid reduction. That, of course, set the precedent for the subsequent approval of lecanemab, which was just recently approved in January. Again, there was a clinical trial where there was clear suggestion of reduction in beta amyloid, but no clear suggestion of benefit in terms of a clinical outcome. Although there was a very large ongoing phase three pivotal trial published in the New England Journal of Medicine in November that does suggest there might be some marginal clinical benefit, but there is a lot of uncertainty associated with it, in part because the effect, while statistically significant, is of unclear clinical significance. But on top of that, there are some concerning safety signals, as these therapies seem to be associated with an increased risk of brain hemorrhage and microedema, which resolves when the therapy is discontinued. But in the context of a clinical trial where people were being monitored monthly with brain imaging to ensure that any early signs of this edema and microhemorrhage were identified so that people could be stopped on therapy, there's a lot of concerns about whether this would happen in the real world and whether thus patients might suffer more severely on treatment. You say in your article that more aggressive adoption of the accelerated approval pathway could result in complicated decisions for clinicians, patients, and caregivers. But why is that the case? Well... The accelerated approval pathway allows products to come to market with more uncertainty. The trials are smaller and they're focused on endpoints that are not definitive in terms of whether patients will benefit from the products. And it does require the sponsors or the manufacturers of the drug to complete trials after approval to quote unquote verify benefit. This trade-off of uncertainty was always considered acceptable in the context of oncology, which is why it's been used so frequently. I think more than 80% of the products that have been approved for the accelerated approval program were oncology or other hematologic malignancy products. And when someone's faced with cancer and a likely death, maybe this sort of trade-off feels very okay on a societal level and within the context of clinical care for patients. But what we've learned over time is that these post-marketing requirements, the trials that are required as a condition of approval in order to verify benefit, they were slow to get done. And even when they were getting done, they were not always focused on clinical outcomes. They were essentially verifying benefit by reconfirming that the drug improved the surrogate marker. This uncertainty raises all sorts of questions for patients. Do you, as a patient or as a family member, want to undergo the treatment, which is often associated with a substantial burden, both in terms of traveling back and forth to clinic, the costs of the therapy itself, the potential harm or safety problems that may be related to it, when you don't know if there's going to be a benefit? We know, for instance, that the most common cause of bankruptcy in the United States is medical bankruptcy, and the most common kind of medical bankruptcy is related to cancer care. And if you were to tell a patient, listen, we have this new therapy, we're not certain whether it works, it's been suggestive that there's benefit, but we also know that there's this potential harm, that's a very different message than we have this therapy and it works and you should try it. And this is the sort of challenge that clinicians, patients, their caregivers are faced with 
when trying to make a decision about whether to use one of these accelerated approval therapies. And what I worry about, my co-authors and I worry about, and the reason we wrote this piece is, as more and more therapies are being brought to market through this accelerated approval pathway, both for rare diseases and now for these Alzheimer's disease drugs, and we've seen signs that the agency it wants to use this pathway more aggressively, is that it requires more and more patients to try to understand, well, this product was approved on the basis of an endpoint that suggests it's reasonably likely to benefit me, but is this benefit, this reasonable likelihood of benefit sufficient given all the other challenges, harms, costs associated with the treatment? And that, of course, creates the need to have more time for discussion with the physicians. It's not as straightforward of a discussion about whether or not to use a therapy. The recent Food and Drug Omnibus Reform Act included some modifications to the accelerated approval pathway. What effect do you expect those changes to have? I applaud that Congress passed the Food and Drug Omnibus Reform Act. I think there are a number of fixes and improvements that will strengthen the accelerated approval pathway. I think the number one fix included within the legislation is it gives the agency the power to request that confirmatory trials are initiated before a company receives accelerated approval. Often the biggest challenge with accelerated approval on the company side is getting and identifying patients who are willing to be randomized to the treatment when it's already been approved by the FDA. You can imagine being in the position of a patient, you're facing this sort of challenging and severe disease, and you're told by your clinician, this drug is available for you, it's been approved by the FDA, or you can enroll in a trial and either be randomized to the drug or a placebo. And there are many patients who would not tolerate the risk of being randomized to a control arm if they thought there was a therapy out there that might help them. So getting the trial started before the time of approval, you're sort of killing two birds with one stone, so to speak. You're making sure that it's easier for enrollment to happen and you're fostering a culture among the companies that the trial has to be done underway and that the information will be available to policymakers, to patients and clinicians as soon as possible. There won't be delays. So that's really key. Other aspects of the legislation around streamlining the process for withdrawing drugs when the postmarking studies are negative or delayed is really critical, along with making sure that the companies are more transparent in their reporting of their study status to the FDA. Another major challenge but that I think will foster trust in the system and reduce delays. Finally, you say that clinicians are going to need to take steps to help patients and caregivers make individual decisions about using drugs that are granted this accelerated approval. How can clinicians prepare for those conversations? I think it's going to be very challenging, but it's where medicine is going in terms of helping patients make personalized decisions. So some of that will involve actually having a more nuanced understanding of the evidence that supported FDA approval. We can't assume that approval in itself means that we are very assured that the drug works for the clinical outcomes that are going to be important to patients, that we know that it improves their symptoms, their function, their survival. But instead, we need to be able to explain to patients what it means that a drug was approved on the basis of improving an imaging marker or improving a blood marker or a biomarker and what that is expected to mean for a patient and their clinical status. Taking that time, explaining it, going through and helping the individual make a decision for themselves, that's going to take time, clarifying this known versus anticipated benefit. But also, it's going to take time to then explain kind of what we know about the safety of medications. When products come through the accelerated approval pathway, because the trials tend to be smaller and shorter, we often know less about safety as well. So conveying this uncertainty, allowing patients to make fully informed decisions despite this uncertainty, 
That's what we're going to need to do. One of the recommendations we made is that if the FDA is going to continue to leverage the accelerated approval process for more and more therapeutic areas, is that I think it would benefit the broader community if they also put resources into making patient education products available to help them make informed decisions, providing structured illustrations of the evidence, like in a formal decision-making aid, so that it was easier to have discussions like this, these really challenging discussions, but to actually unify and standardize kind of information for patients. Thank you, Dr. Ross.